When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for downloading or streaming this episode of Band Biographies. You can find more episodes at bandbiographies.com. That's B-A-N-N-E-D biographies.com. If you enjoy it, why not leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or whatever service you use to listen to your podcasts. Apparently, it helps get the show up the charts so more people can see it, to download it, and then to leave further five-star reviews. Another way you can help is by telling as many friends as possible to give it a download. Please do reach out on Twitter at BandBiogs, on Instagram at BandBiographies, search on Facebook for BandBiographies, or by emailing BandBiographies at gmail.com. But most of all, enjoy. Hello and welcome to this very special interview episode of the Band Biographies podcast with me, Tom Austin Morgan, talking to synth rock cabaret musician and compare Laurie Black. Band Biographies is proud to be a member of the Pantheon network of music-based podcasts. Just visit pantheonpodcasts.com to find a podcast about whatever genre of music you can think of. There's something there for everyone. This conversation with Laurie Black came around quickly, despite the fact that I saw her back in September supporting Adamant on the Antics tour. Things have happened for both of us since then, but now here we are on the cusp of her releasing her latest single, Space Junk, which, though it's a year old, the subject matter keeps continuing to get more controversial. Space Junk is out on the 13th of January, wherever you stream your music. Laurie, as you're about to find out, is a really cool person, an artist with strong views on a number of topics which are evident in her music and stage act. I can't recommend enough making time to listen to her music and try to catch a live performance, which for those of you in Australia will be easy, as Laurie is performing at the Melbourne and Adelaide Fringe Festivals from February through to April, so you really have no excuse. You can find out all about her, her music and her tour dates at laurieblack.co.uk and you can find her music as well on all the usual streaming sites. Laurie is of course an independent artist so make sure you check out the merch section of her website and buy some stuff from music to lampshades. It'll make sense in the interview. As you can tell I'm buzzing about this chat because I'm recording this intro directly after talking to her so without further ado I present to you my conversation with the wonderful Laurie Black. Laurie Black, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. That's perfectly fine. It's my pleasure. Firstly, I'd like to thank you for giving up your time to talk to me today. We've kind of been chatting a little while in order to set this interview out, but... um, that's a good thing because it's taken me, it's given me the time to get acquainted with your back catalogue and uh, it's safe to say that I'm a fan. Oh, cool. And I'd also like to thank photographer Max Kane as well for getting in yes. touch and kind of connecting us in the last few weeks as well. 
Yeah, and also he's taken some amazing pictures of me as well. He so. really has. He's a talented guy and uh, found out a little bit more about him recently and that he's only been doing it the last year or so. Yeah, it's crazy. He's got a great eye, I think. Yeah. And we were just talking just before we started this, I saw you supporting Adamant over the summer and was really impressed at your ownership of such a large stage as a solo <laughs> artist. But then I looked a little bit more about you in the in the preceding weeks and found out a bit more about your background and that you play cabaret clubs and fringe festivals as well, which kind of explains why you're so <laughs> at home on a stage like that. And would you say there's any kind of big differences between your club act and like the purely musical gigs that you do, if there are, in fact, any? Um, I think I was trying for there to be a bigger difference because essentially this gig the the adamant gig was the first you know music set that i've ever properly been asked to do all oh, right so i very it was it was all really last minute and, and before the tour got postponed in february last year i had like two weeks notice and i was like okay i gotta make a music set and i gotta not talk too much on stage and i gotta just be a musician and then very quickly uh, realized I can't do that. It's just not who I am. <laughs> and I've definitely, I had close friends who came to some of the shows and there was uh, two, so I talk pretty much in between every single song apart from uh, between two songs. And, you know, I, even after doing 20 shows, I found it so hard to bite my tongue and not say anything and just kind of finish one song and then just go into the next song like it's really not my vibe and I felt like I had to tone what I kind of do in a cabaret show down for the adamant shows but I ended up not doing it so much and people really responded well and I thought actually this is going okay I mean we had we ended up having the first two shows with Southend and London Roundhouse and then there was about a month's gap between the rest of the tour and I was like okay after those shows I've got a month to fix the set <laughs> you know all the things that went wrong and that people didn't like I've got a month to kind of sort it out and I didn't change it at all because it just worked and people really understood me which I wasn't necessarily expecting because <laughs> mm -hmm. it, it's quite a different thing I suppose because the talking between the song is easily 50% of the act, I suppose, really, isn't it? Yeah. In cabaret, especially, there is a it's, it's, it's a it's a mixture between musical and would you say comedy? Yeah, I mean, I, it's in the comedy world, it's not really classified, is it? But if you're in the music world, essentially to people, what I'm doing is a bit of stand up comedy in between the songs. Mm. But kind of setting the scene for the next song and kind of explaining yeah. a little bit about the themes. Exactly. And I was like, I was even worried. I didn't even know that I've never played in such big venues. And I was like, if I'm if I'm talking on a microphone and it's going to be like echoing around the place, are people even going to hear what I'm saying? Like, mm. I just have no idea how it was going to go down. And that, you know, that's all the stuff I do in a cabaret show. I normally have a wireless microphone and I'm kind of walking around in the audience chatting to people. So I kept saying to the Adamant tour um, or the crew, just like, you're lucky you've got me on a wired microphone. Otherwise, I'd be off and down and amongst the people. <laughs> <laughs> a long way away from your synth yeah. and, uh, and drum machine. <laughs> and also the lighting was amazing as well. Was that something that you worked hard on? Because obviously, I, I suppose it's a different 
it's a whole different process from lighting in a small club to quite a large auditorium. Yeah, no, that was um, that was a girl on the tour. Her name was Simone. She was amazing. I essentially just kind of gave her my set list and went, hey, so this song is called Alien. It's about aliens. How about some green? And, you know, <laughs> off she went and she did a thing and she nailed it. She was so great. So a massive shout out to Simone mm. for making me look amazing. And I think throughout the tour as well, kind of, everyone you know you kind of get into it and you get to know each other and how everyone else works and mm. you can kind of finesse things and I, I always think you know the final night of the tour it's always going to be the best night because everyone just knows exactly what's what's coming so it just yeah no she was great but that was literally just me on a like scrap sheet of paper being like here's the set list and i want this one to be red and this one to be pink thank you <laughs> Wow, I didn't realize. I thought that there might be a bit more that went into it than that. But props, props to Simone. I mean, it was amazing. I've never seen someone going from looking like a regular human being to kind of a, a Star Trek like alien. With- Hello, Pantheon podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. <laughs> Green or pink skin just by changing a light. I mean, it was exactly, it was a yeah. stunning effect. Yeah. And also, I guess with me as well, I have loads of um, UV yellow is kind of my thing. So that's always quite useful because essentially any old uh, blue LED light will pick up some of that UV. Mm. So especially when I put the big high-vis dress on, 
EVs and I'm just glowing on stage, like just instantly looks like amazing. That was incredible. I've never seen anything quite <laughs> like it. Um, yeah, absolute props to you and Simone. Yeah. And uh, you're a bit of a kind of renaissance woman as well. You also paint, make lampshades. Uh, you've written a graphic novel, Space Cadet, which uh, yeah. you sell all that stuff on your site as well. Do you want to give a shout out to the website and where people can find you? Yeah, uh, it's laurieblack.co.uk. Easy peasy. And when you go on the merch page, there's all like standard merch and then you scroll down and it's all the handmade things that I've done. But people are, yeah, people are like, oh, you're, you're so talented. And essentially all I can do is be creative. I'm not good at anything else. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a specific thing of creative people. I mean, I'm always in awe of people who seems to be relentlessly creative like yourself. <laughs> it's like a whole multimedia thing that you've got going on really by the seams of things. I mean, it's less of a question, more of a statement. So, you know, <laughs> but yeah, I was, uh, yeah, scrolling through the website. I'm like, wow, how do you have the time to <laughs> do well, Lots that? of that stuff happened in lockdown, you know, right. when there wasn't gigs on. And I just feel like, I feel like this generally, you can't sit and write music all day, every day, because you'll go mental. I know some, some musicians do it, but for me, I need uh, to not always be staring at my synthesizer, mm. so finding creative outlets in other things. And yeah, the lampshades thing, that was just, you know, I had nothing else to do in lockdown. So I was like, ah, oh, just try making a lampshade and it was quite fun so i made a few <laughs> <laughs> brilliant well as lockdown projects go that's one of the uh the more unique <laughs> ones that i've uh, yeah. that i've encountered it's so better far than banana bread <laughs> yeah yeah much more uh unique i think everyone was doing banana bread or you know taking up exercise i know that was my thing i was like right i'm gonna i'm gonna start running yeah and that was the typical lockdown thing that i did and dare i ask have you kept it up I have actually, yes. Nice, Although I, I took some time off over Christmas, which I'm regretting now and uh, having to hit the road a little bit harder this year, <laughs> I think this month, kind of shed a few of the, uh, I'm about 70% cheese at the moment. Yeah, I felt that. I felt that. Yeah. <laughs> Camembert, especially. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so just a couple of quick questions to get into your background a little bit. I mean, what I suppose because it's it's your your act is music and cabaret which came first was it music for you or was it um performance or, or comedy even um I think it was always music um I played piano since I was like six years old or something I never really enjoyed it it was always kind of just one of those oh my parents are making me do this thing and I went through the grades and you know it was fine but I actually, and I ha have a bit of um, my my solo cabaret show about this, where um, essentially I wanted to quit playing piano and I wanted to learn the flute. <laughs> right. Uh, but that's not quite as rock and roll. And I also think like Lizzo's already got that covered. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing I stuck to the piano. Um, and it was a mix of, so my favorite, favorite band ever, who are also the first band I ever saw, are Muse. And I think the thing that changed my mind about piano, it was um, it was the Absolution tour and Matt Bellamy, the, the singer and main songwriter, he had a piano, like an upright piano that had lights on the on the back of it facing the audience for yeah. every single one of the notes. It just blew my mind. And I, kind of from then on, I was like, oh, yes, I want to play piano now. <laughs> it's cool. It has lights. <laughs> yeah. You can yeah, stick exactly. lights on it. Yeah. That was the that was the first tour of Muses that I saw as well. Oh yeah. And I remember I it was at Wembley Arena, I think. And um 
I remember him playing like a shredding guitar solo on this side of the stage. The lights went out and he was on the piano on that side of the stage. <laughs> I was like, how is he doing it? Mad. They're they're an incredible band. I love Muse. So good. Yeah. Yeah. Got tickets to see them next year. Oh, this year now. Yeah. Very oh, wicked. I mean, that that stage show um, for the new album looks incredible with the huge kind of masks. I saw the Glastonbury performance oh, yeah. um, on TV last year. Yeah, their stage shows are incredible. Uh, so was your household a musical one growing up you know were your parents musicians any kind of siblings that you've got were they playing instruments as well or uh yeah super musical I grew up with a jukebox in the house oh wow that was always playing my dad's like favorite northern soul records uh I had one record of my own on the jukebox which was stop right now by the Spice Girls yes (laughs) (laughs) feminist from a young age yeah and yeah my dad played saxophone i like i think one of my earliest memories is him um like chasing me around the house playing uh the pink panther <laughs> <laughs> that kind of like creepy um and my mum played guitar uh in in an all-girl band actually so oh. yeah always musical oh cool and so bearing in mind that pedigree your first band that you saw live was muse what was the first single or album that you bought with your own money Oh, it's so embarrassing. It's rubbish. It has to be embarrassing. That's the point. I was saying this to someone the other day. Some people have really cool ones. Mine was, it was, I guess it was from Pop Idol. Um, It was Gareth Gates. (laughs) Um, Was that the, uh, uh, what was his first one? I think it was. Mm, Yes. Yeah. The cover of Spirit in the Sky. Yeah. embarrassing i always think i should actually just make up a better one for that i think it's better that you don't i think it's like i've i've out of the people that i've interviewed on here maybe one or two people have had cool ones and i'm always a little bit suspicious yeah you know i mean mine's um bare naked ladies one week which i'm not too uh ashamed of yeah i quite like that song anyway but uh, <laughs> But yeah, I think your your first forays into your own musical taste is supposed to be a bit embarrassing later yeah. down the line, you know? Yeah, and I had a weird, yeah, it was that kind of weird selection of really poppy, uh, like, kids' music and then Muse. <laughs> <laughs> that was my taste. <laughs> but I think that's generally, that's the progress, isn't it? You're listening to whatever is poppy at the time and then you kind of start finding your path later on, don't you? Yeah. Talking a little bit about that, I mean, your mum was in a, an all-girl group, your dad played sax, you started off listening to pop and then went into Muse. I mean, there's a lot of uh, influences in there. So, like, what would you say were some of your major influences for the music that you went on to make? Because I know you also play with other people as well. You play piano for a couple other people. Yeah. Have you, did you have bands and stuff before you became, you know, Laurie Black, the solo artist? I tried and that's always the dream and it still is always the dream and people I mean people on the Adamant tour constantly came up to me and they were like oh you're really good but you should have a band and it it really annoyed me because I'm like (laughs) yeah I know yeah thanks (laughs) um but I just find it so hard to rely on other people it's just yeah it's finding people who are as committed and um you know don't have day jobs and other things so they can you know drop everything and go and do a show and that was essentially how I got the Adamant gig was that the band split up and then they asked me and I was like well I can't split up with myself like (laughs) let's go creative differences (laughs) (laughs) right down the middle (laughs) 
so yeah i've been in bands and i do when i do my my big cabaret shows i i kind of hire in other musicians and we play live music whilst there are um you know circus performers on stage mm. and i love doing that and i wish we could kind of make it more of a a thing more of a collective but then at the same time i'm always the one who's away gigging and traveling and so i know i'm i'm the annoying one that's not really based anywhere to have a band somewhere but that's why it's nice to kind of then just go and play in other people's bands um i enjoy doing that because it's again like it's less pressure on me being the front person i can just go in and play some bleepy bloops on my synth and i like that yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's still it's still a kind of work in progress i'm constantly going right how and when am i going to find the band so that is still the the idea even though i would say that the sound that you make it's fully kind of rounded anyway i would say i mean you've got the drum machine and the synthesizer they're doing the things that you want them to do like... yeah yeah exactly and it's taken a lot of work to find the right pieces of equipment that could do that mm. And I'm quite like I, I did on the Adamant set, I had two songs where I kind of just played a backing track and I sang along to it. But it's just too karaoke for me. I really don't <laughs> enjoy doing that. So as much as possible, I try to make what I do live. And, and even then, I think, you know, I say on stage quite a lot like, so this is my drum machine. And like, I, I feel like I have to explain it to people because otherwise they do just think that they don't realize how much work I'm doing on on all of the like, you know, changing the sounds and and lining up the sequencer and the drum machine. I'm looking over here because I've literally, they're literally sitting here right in front of me. There they um, are, the members of the band. They are, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly, I have to say that because otherwise people just don't necessarily realize how much of it is happening live. Mm. That's like maybe a compliment. So Definitely, yeah, I think, uh, the fact of the matter is a lot of people probably don't understand electronic music as a live performance based thing. Yeah. And especially I'm not going to say people of a certain age, <laughs> but on that tour, perhaps there were more people of a certain age that maybe don't, you know, and that's not a criticism at all. I know that synthesizers have been around since the seventies, but they're not, I feel like they're not the most accessible of like, for example, first instruments, yeah. which are guitar, piano, woodwinds, whatever you want. Um, like they are quite specialist pieces of kit. Yeah, and each one's just so different. I've even just, just now I bought a, um, a Roland MC505, mm -hmm. which is what Peaches recorded her first album on. So I was like, yeah, great, cool, love Peaches, gonna, gonna try this out. And actually I've had it for a couple of months and I don't really like it. So I'm going to sell it again. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> you just don't know until you've got the time to mess around with the piece of equipment. Yeah. Yeah. I was having this conversation with Zach Blair, who's the guitarist from the band Rise Against. Oh, I yeah. met him on the ferry coming back from my own tour of Europe on, in November. Yeah. And we were talking about how, you know, certain people like Tom Morello, for example, as a guitarist has one or two pedals but people yeah. trying to emulate his style have got pedal boards with like five or six all trying to do that same thing. And it's yes. it's about finding the best way for you to play what you hear on the yeah. equipment you've got, isn't it? Yeah. And it's, it's hard. I wish there was, I, I, in Glasgow, there is a place that's called the, um, it's something like just the music library. Mm -hmm. So you can kind of literally go in, rent something out for a week and try it out. And I oh, just yeah. wish that was more of a thing. <laughs> 
Wow, that's really cool. I've never heard yeah. of that. Yeah. Ah, that's an yeah. idea. Like a library, but for instruments, yeah. Yeah, okay. Hmm. Anyone listening have an idea for a business? There you go. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, we we're talking a little bit about uh, well, for example, Peaches. Peaches was one of the um one of the artists that I thought of when I was listening through your back catalogue as a possible influence. That's good news, great. <laughs> but also, you know, I mean, who who else do you draw inspiration from? I guess there's a little bit of kind of nine inch nails in there <laughs> with the industrial yeah. sounding stuff. Yeah, yeah for sure. Possibly even like Dan Lassac, Scroobius Pip um, for oh, the glitchy breakbeat stuff. Yeah. Really? Oh, wow. I love Scroobius Pip. Right. Uh, yeah. I saw him do an Edinburgh Fringe show. Mm. I, think it, I think it was 2016 because I think it was the first year I did my show, Bad Luck Cabaret. And I actually asked him if he'd come do Bad Luck Cabaret. Oh, wow. He was, like, he was, he was too busy. But I, that's one of my annoyances. I'm like, I could have had Scroobius Pip in my oh. show. Wow. I'm a massive fan of his. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, he's given up the music. So, <sighs> but he's on Twitch quite a lot these days. So he is. Yeah. 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 There are a few songs of yours that have that glitchy electronic stuff in the background, and you're doing a kind of hip hop flow yeah. over the top of it. And I just instantly was like, oh, this sounds a little bit like maybe yeah. there's an influence in there somewhere as well. You picked up on that. No one's ever said that before. I like that. <laughs> Excellent. I, I try. I try to do my research. I try to <laughs> dig deep. I mean, as well, listening to some of the songs and the lyrics in the songs, there's um, a, a few terms that stood out to me from comedy as well. Yeah. Like, for example, in Motorcycle Boy, you'd use the term moon on a stick. And yes. I wondered if that was just literally because it is a turn of phrase or whether or not you're a kind of Lee and Herring fan, like Stuart Lee and Richard Herring. Because they yeah. use they use that as a kind of catchphrase in their show Fist of Fun. Probably you're too young to have seen it. I don't know. <laughs> I, yeah, I've not. I know. I know Richard Herring. Um, mm. Yeah, no, I know both of them, and I've seen their things, and I've heard like podcasts with them and stuff. So I would say I I do like them, but I don't know their material that much. The Moon on the Stick was. Um, there was a performer, American performer. I, I think she's probably still going. Her name's Emily Autumn. And she, I guess, a bit, a bit like me, um, kind of solo performer. She was an electric violinist, mm. and she used to play with um, with Hole, Courtney Love's oh. band. Uh, and then she started doing solo things, and it was it was kind of a burlesque music theatre show all in one. But then she kind of got booked for music gigs and kind of supporting you know heavier bands and festivals and so she had like this whole band of kind of burlesque girls on stage and there was one of them that literally had a little moon on a stick <sighs> and I just always loved it but it was like just a little clowny girl with a moon on a stick it was always like just stuck with me that image I see right okay that's interesting and also there was another line in the Alka love song the all hail the ale line Yes. which I assume is an Al Murrayism. Al Murray, yeah. yeah. And I, 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 yeah, I don't think I say it in the recorded version, but I mean, it's been a long time since I've done that live, but I would, I used to literally say, in the almighty words of Al Murray. Ah. <laughs> yes, yeah. So is is comedy a, 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 a kind of second love as well? Yeah, in a weird way, because I know uh, so much comedy can seem... I don't know, inaccessible and um, 
controversial and I'm gonna say it, it's by a lot of straight white men. So the kind of comedy that you get on, I don't know, Netflix or whatever, I wouldn't necessarily say is the thing I'm into. I think I, I think being involved in fringe festivals means that you can't avoid comedy, mm. but then also you find so many different iterations of what comedy actually is. And I'm friends with lots of stand-up comedians who aren't necessarily what are the normal view of what a stand-up comedian is. Right. So yeah, I'm, I think I'm surrounded by comedy a lot. Uh, and potentially a bit of a snob because of it. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I should say this, tell the story, but I think I do think it's funny. I once um, was dating a person at Edinburgh Fringe a few years ago, and he worked on one of the bars, and he didn't really know what Fringe was all about. He saw my show a couple times, and then he had one night off of the whole Fringe, and I was like, right, there's three thousand shows here. You can see, you know, it's comedy and and art from all around the world all kinds of amazing people who are you gonna go see and he went to watch ed burn <laughs> <laughs> who you know you can probably get his dvd for a pound in the in the charity shop or find him on netflix he's kind of accessible yeah so accessible and that was that was my uh, turn off moment and i oh. broke up with him because of that <laughs> I was like, just you know, you've got all of the arts in the world right here at your feet, and you're going to go watch Ed Burn. Like, so boring. Basic, basic. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't. I think you know. Uh, certainly, you know, the Fringe is a place, and all, all the fringes. I know that you've done quite a few uh, Fringe festivals over the years. They <laughs> are the places that you can explore different things and get into slightly different less accessible yeah strands of comedy and music and things like that and art in between your songs i mean it, like i say i think it's a little bit reductive to say what you talk about between the songs is comedy yeah it feels more kind of i don't know like personal than that and like like i say you're kind of explaining what the songs are about but there's definitely like um i don't want to say agenda but like you've got a point to make in what yeah. you're saying as well do you know what I mean like I don't know quite how to say it without sounding either offhand or accusatory and someone was saying to me recently they were like oh blah blah yeah your music you're not that political really Laurie and I was like what like <laughs> all of my material has some kind of you know fair enough it's not me bashing Boris Johnson mm. or you know literal talking about politics but the themes I explore in the lyrics that I write are all to do with politics and and even things you know that the show the shows I put on so bad luck cabaret it's it's politics who I book to be in that show the people who I'm choosing to kind of have on the stage and mm. even the venues that I choose to be in because you know they may or may not be accessible venues or you know I, everything is politics mm. and I think lots of the time politics can be like a scary word for people and they just like to turn off after hearing that but yeah I do I feel like I've got points that I want to make and I try to kind of lace them into a more light-hearted comedy thing but hopefully people will also then be thinking about the points I've tried to make within that yeah I certainly came away from the show that I saw thinking you're very kind of right on and in <laughs> like the the messages that you were putting across were 
exactly that it's personal politics and mm. and gender quality uh, equality and and yeah. like you say ableism and things like that trying to point out <clears throat> not not anti uh men but certainly anti-patriarchy <laughs> well apparently and this is this is heard from simone actually she was lighting me one day you know and the lighting desk is kind of in the middle of the audience and she was saying that these that these blokes were quite near her and they were i was singing probably my uh feminist space song majora tom yeah and they were going oh this is this woman's a sexist but <laughs> But those are the people that you want to piss off as well, right? Yeah, I'm not that bothered about them thinking oh, that. Exactly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what, what are some of the things that you're kind of most passionate about outside of performing and being artistic? Like, is there a kind of, like you say, you, you curate your uh, your cabaret nights with particular kinds of acts and, and you choosing particular venues. Like, what are your politics in that way or, or you know is that is that something that you're outwardly passionate about or is it just other things uh yeah I mean this yeah that when you sent me this question I really had to think about it because I was like I don't I don't do anything else apart from music and cabaret and art like that's it like I don't I don't have any other hobbies but then I then thinking about it that I guess the the really big thing I'm passionate about and I'm trying to kind of bring into my music more as well is is the environment and being eco-friendly and so like last year in edinburgh instead of i mean it's a very edinburgh thing you print off thousands of pictures of your face and they litter the streets um so i got some seed paper flyers printed okay then you can um plant them once you've come to the show you can plant them and and flowers will grow so I spend a lot of my time trying to work out how to make my shows sustainable and not have waste. And I think that's a lot, um, quite a big thing in fringe performances and theatre. There's lots of waste and props and p- lots of people use food in their shows. And yeah, it's trying to find a, a way of being as sustainable as possible. So in Bad Luck Cabaret, I do this thing where I, I get... It's like an audience participation game and it's the black and yellow um, like hazard tape and people like wrap themselves up in it and they make clothing out of it. And then we have a little catwalk. It's very fun. But that is just plastic tape all over the place. Yeah. So recently I found a place that does biodegradable tape. So that was a thing. So, yeah, I, I think a lot about the environment and how to be better. And I guess, yeah, just a lot about all kinds of politics people being comfortable at shows and yeah again with that you know with the danger tape game it's audience participation but it's consensual i'm not ever picking on anyone i'm not ever touching anyone without their consent you know there's a lot of discussion about that in cabaret Mm. and i just think you know what's the most comfortable way that you can be in an audience because i know you know i'm a performer but if I go and sit in someone's show and they pick on me and make me participate in their show, I am so uncomfortable. <laughs> I hate that. Um, so, yeah, kind of trying to work out how you're going to make people feel comfortable in lots of ways, but then maybe say some uncomfortable truths about politics and what's going on in the world. Mm. But I think the best way to put across those um, those ideas and stuff is in a kind of more 
digestible like you say you lace in a little bit of light-heartedness in there as well and i think that that opens the door a bit because people are also laughing while taking in the message exactly yeah and i think that's a really really effective way of doing it so um yeah i applaud you so what what is this sorry what was the tape game you were talking about <laughs> I, I i kind of I to describe i <laughs> stand on stage like a toilet roll holder right. and i have the tape and and people in the audience all kind of pull it out and they break bits off and then it's a competition that they have to kind of make something out of it and then we do like a catwalk so actually the last time i did it it was uh in brighton and I don't know, someone made a scarf, someone made like a headband thing. And then uh, there was a dog in the audience. So someone just wrapped their dog up in it. Oh, <laughs> it was like a tiny little, I guess, like a whippet, like right. a greyhound. Um, and uh, he brought this dog up on stage. And, you know, I normally I'm kind of go. At, I, this is the point on stage where I'm like the meanest I am to people. But it's for the for the lols. Yeah. Um, so I go along and ask people, what have they made? Why do they think they should win? Um, and I got to this guy with the dog and I just, I do this a lot on stage where I just find myself in a situation and I have this kind of moment of like, how did we get here, Laurie? <laughs> <laughs> Crouching on the floor, just holding a microphone up to this dog as if it's gonna speak. <laughs> And then the guy was like, oh, shall I, I'll just be, I'll be her spokesperson. So I was like, yeah, okay, fine. And he started off with this whole thing. He was like, well, you know, she may never win crafts. <laughs> and the whole audience is like in tears. <laughs> uh, so obviously the dog won that one. <laughs> Clearly, how could you not? Yeah. <laughs> I love that element of performance where you're just like, this wasn't what I was expecting would happen today. <laughs> but this is one of the best thing about going to live shows though isn't it yeah. there are no two shows that are ever exactly the same and especially when you introduce audience participation <laughs> in <Yeah>. that way <laughs> and animal participation oh uh, yeah i mean i don't i think you have to actually have a license to have a dog on stage so don't tell anyone <laughs> we won't we won't tell anyone so I, I assume lots of people end up looking a bit like you on the Bad Luck album cover yes, from 2017. Because yeah. that was going to be another thing coming through uh, all the things that we've been talking about. It seems that each album that you produce has got almost like a theme to it, would you say? Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. In the, I guess the Dark Days one, for example, has a lot more about environmental issues, I think, as well as kind of technological um cautionary tales yes whereas yeah. the others like uh the last album kink was a bit more kind of dark and played more with kind of sexual imagery and yeah. and, and things like that i assume that's a conscious thing yeah. have the have all the songs been around have a, have a lot of the songs been around for a while but you organize them into kind of almost genres and then produce them as an album or or is it more of a these are the songs that came out at the time this is how you were thinking yeah it's it's more that yeah the songs that are just happening at the time i don't i'm not good at keeping things secret so if i've written a good song i'm like well this needs to be on the next release like i'm not keeping this for another x amount of years like mm. this song needs to be released as soon as possible i i want people to hear it Dark Days was a funny one because, again, that was a kind of lockdown thing. And that's the first album I've done where 
it just came together naturally. I just had enough songs and I went, okay, well, this will be an album. Whereas all the others, it was very much like, this is going to be the name of the album. This is what it's going to look like. Now let's work on kind of creating some songs for that. And I'm trying to work out at the minute what I am. I imagine I should probably release another album this year and I'm not sure how I'm going to go about it yet if, if it'll be which one of those it'll be if I'll just kind of go oh here's some songs let's see what that makes or if I'm going to kind of decide what the concept is and then mold things more to fit that okay so we could be embarking down a new way of doing things from the yeah. from, from the pandemic I suppose yeah because how, how how was the pandemic for you? Obviously, we've covered that you kind of went into artistic mode and did a lot of things that weren't perhaps music as well as music as well. Was that just you had lots more time on your hands uh, to do those kinds of things? Did you miss live performance? I imagine you must have. Yeah, that I, I, I would say my strongest thing and the thing I love most is being on a stage in front of people. So I found it very hard not having that. And I, so I, I'm like lots of performers. I went on Twitch and I did kind of Zoom shows. And I think with trying to write new material for me as well, it's never done until I've performed it in front of an audience a couple of times at least. Hmm. So I can gauge, you know, where the laughs were and if I needed to change anything. So I tried to kind of perform new material on Zoom, but you just never, <laughs> you can't tell what people are thinking or if they're laughing or, you know, if they just, their dogs barking so they've had to <laughs> mute and go and run away or you know all of that it's just not the same so yeah. that was difficult but I mean I tried I just kept going but I look, looking back on some of it now I'm like oh god I was trying too hard <laughs> <laughs> I should have just chilled out a bit but then so my song Cockroach that I did as part of the Adamant set that was kind of written during and about those times about not feeling like I would ever be back on a stage in front of people again. And I'm not a, a, a nervous person, you know, I don't get stage fright before I go on stage, but doing my first shows back after the pandemic, totally freaked out. <laughs> well, yeah, because it's something I suppose for yourself, especially the amount of gigs that you do, it's uh, it must have been an odd experience going back out on stage after such a prolonged time off. Yeah, it was, yeah, the first time, hopefully the only time in my life that I'll ever feel stage fright. And it, I think it definitely t took a couple goes to kind of get back into. But yeah, ugh, just, I don't want to do that again. It was hard. It was really hard. I, but I, you know, I found other things to do. I, I kept my head up. I know lots of people found it difficult and didn't cope very well. I do think I coped all right, but yeah just missed the stage <laughs> mm -hmm. and um did you have you seen a difference in audiences since coming back has, has there been a you know because I've, I've talked to some people and they seem to think that audiences are less respectful now that there's a lot of more talking going on during, uh, during gigs. I, I don't know whether that's part of cabaret's kind of inclusive anyway but yes. you know I guess you could I don't know if I would call it lack of respect but I definitely I just felt like people forgot how to be an audience mm. they were used to being able to sit on zoom on their sofa be muted have a bit of a chat with their mate whilst they were kind of vaguely watching what was going on on the screen and yeah I think it took people a long time to remember like oh yeah we should probably like shut up and listen and then at the end of the song we should we should laugh and, and clap and we should tell our faces that we're having fun. 
<laughs> yeah so i think it was it was more just people forgot what the kind of etiquette was mm. um, i don't think it was you know specifically out of just being rude <laughs> yeah yeah i oh, know i definitely think there was a there was a disconnect as much as zoom kind of and and various other methods of keeping in contact were just about at the point where we could rely on them yes. the whole time yeah. to be able to com communicate with our families our friends whoever you know yourself being able to do gigs and stuff there was definitely there is still definitely a disconnect when you're communicating through a screen that isn't the same as in real life and uh yeah that is something that's uh i think hopefully people are going to start remembering like you say how to be an audience yeah and i think i'm finding a weird point now i i mean i know obviously we've also got the cost of living crisis and uh, lots of scary things that are meaning that people aren't really buying tickets for mm. shows but there were the, but it feels like it's kind of just come up to this point where everyone has finally caught up on all of the shows that they had tickets for pre-pandemic. Yeah. So they've had, you know, they've had these tickets for years and years now, and they've finally seen that show and they, you know, probably spent hundreds of pounds on it, you know, way back when. So they're definitely going to go see the show now. And then now it feels like we're in this kind of lull where that's all happened. And it's kind of re reminding people, okay, you can, keep going to shows now you'd have to rely on tickets that you've had booked for many years yeah i know i'm i'm making a concerted effort to do more this year i've started mm -hmm. booking things in around the gigs that i've got just to kind of be an audience member again because the only things i've been doing for the last year are gigs that i'd set up or had been set up with various bands yes, yeah. that were supposed to have happened in 2020 <laughs> yeah. and then maybe didn't even happen in 2021 and and now are happening now yeah. so yeah, I think it's good to remind yourself that we can all get together again. And actually, music and performance-based things up on a stage, they're really good for you, I think, as a kind of unifying thing, good for your mental health, good for being part of a society again, you know, yeah. learning fit you back in. Nail on the head. That is what I genuinely think is the meaning of life, is um, a group of people being in a room singing together. Mm. It just there's something just so special and unifying and you know fair enough you might be at that gig on your own but there's just some kind of like human connection mm. when that happens I I've got goosebumps talking I, about it I know what you feel yeah, yeah. I'm exactly the same there's something about that communal experience ah, that's so uh it's 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 like religion I guess in a way for yeah. some people you know um so Back to, you know, things that are going on now. I mean, how, how long have you been doing the Bad Luck Cabaret and are you continuing to do that into the future? Yeah, it's kind of just become a general fixture now. So I first did it in 2016. I used to work with a circus. So it's, it's called a Spiegel tent, which is a Belgian thing, which means mirror tent. So it's kind of a circus tent but it's like it's, it's like flat pack <laughs> it's like vintage <laughs> ikea <laughs> it's all like kind of mirrored inside and gorgeous um so i worked with the famous spiegel tent which is one of the oldest i think it's over 100 years old now yeah. and they used to do edinburgh fringe they used to set up as a venue there and they knew i performed and they just turned around to me one day and said okay laurie we're gonna give you a slot to put on a show and i went oh god i don't have a show <laughs> so thus bad luck cabaret was born 
and yeah so I host that and then do some of my own songs and then have other people on stage I fell out of love with it for a bit after maybe touring it too much and just and I guess when I did that as well people started asking me okay are you gonna do your own show though Mm. so I started focusing on making my own solo show but again recently I, I think kind of Brighton Fringe last year I did bad luck cabaret again and I just went no I love this show I love getting my mates up on stage I love being able to kind of give people this platform to perform and it's it's just it's a fun time and it's you know it's fairly easy for me to do now because I I know the songs I know what I'm doing I love hosting shows so yeah definitely trying to just keep bad luck cabaret in the in the stratosphere Mm. just because it's yeah it's fun and I like it and it's a touring thing it's not specifically in one uh... no um i've started doing a kind of collaboration version of the show so i've got um some friends they're called clapback club and they're a feminist theater group who do they mostly do like again like similar to me kind of but they do more parodies of songs and they they all sing it's quite musical theatery but they're really funny and it's all very political so we kind of teamed up uh, last year and we went, right, let's do a show together. So we smashed our names together. Um, so Bad Luck Cabaret and Clapback Club became Bad Clap Cabaret. <laughs> <laughs> and we did that. We did that last year, twice last year. And now we've just been like, actually, this is a really fun thing to do. So we've got another one of those coming up in February. Brighton. So that's I think we're going to just try and make that a kind of six monthly thing that we do. Um, at the Hope and Ruin in Brighton. I think that'll kind of feel like a residency, which will be nice. And again, that's just like me booking a show with some friends. It's it's fun, I like it. But otherwise, my kind of solo iteration of Bad Luck Cabaret, just, yeah, wherever it gets booked, I'll go do it. <laughs> Excellent. And there are other uh, shows coming up in future, What some some in the Southeast and then... We're going abroad for a long, long time. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, yeah. If anyone's wondering why I've been quiet recently, it's because I'm doing all my admin because uh, I'm going out to Australia. Mm. Um, so it's been four years since I've done that. It used to be a thing that I did back again before COVID. Um, Adelaide Fringe and Melbourne International Comedy Festival. But it's a lot. It's so much. I do it all myself. So I'm here doing the the visa applications and the the tax stuff. And I just finished my app reforms today. So that's the same as like PRS saying what songs you're going to have in your shows. And it's just just constant, like little bits of admin like that. Mm. But it will be worth it once I get there. <laughs> and it's a lot of dates in a row, isn't it? It's basically from February through to April. And yeah. Yeah. almost almost every day by the looks of it as well yeah Adelaide Fringe is the longest fringe festival it's five weeks I think or is it it's four weeks with five weekends so it's a long time, but also it's the best possible combination of things like it's good weather it's near a beach shows don't start to like five o'clock in at night so you're not like working all day so it seems on paper it seems quite scary but actually Adelaide is good vibes so it'll be fine yeah and so uh, you said that you've done it before have you done that many shows consecutively in the past or is this a new a new level of sadism (laughs) no I would say my 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 
busiest times are normally Edinburgh Fringe and even this last year Edinburgh Fringe I, I was like oh I'll give myself a nice quiet little fringe because it ended up being in kind of the middle of the Adamant tour mm. so I didn't book myself for too many gigs and then I came out the other end having done I think 51 shows in 28 days wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um yeah that was hard it's hard but you just do it and you're like well I'm here and you know the venue's five minutes down the road. I might as well just go do another show. What else am I going to do? <laughs> Sleep in September. <laughs> <laughs> At least I suppose you're in the same place the whole yeah. time. So there's no traveling in between the gigs to yeah. kind of tire you out. But does it ever get a little bit Groundhog Day-ish playing in the same venue so many nights in a row? Yes. Yeah. Especially, cause, yeah, Edinburgh, because that's the second year I've done that venue as well so I know that you know I, I can just take myself exactly onto that stage exactly what it's like so easily but I get like what you were saying before you know it's it's always different because you have a different audience in every night and there's always just going to be something different that happens or and 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 sometimes <laughs> it works not in your favor you know you say a joke and it doesn't land and you want to say well hey well last night they found that funny <laughs> shut up <laughs> what's wrong with you yeah but that's yeah I guess that's the joy of of making it different is that it's always a different audience in there so it's gonna feel different how things land um I think the, the weirdest one I've had I it was the only time I ever did the same show twice in one day and in the second show, I kept just like saying the punchlines and then being like, hey, did I already say that? Because <laughs> I just, I, yeah, genuinely felt like it was the same thing. Yeah. You get that kind of cognitive dissonance going on where yeah, you're like, I know lots that, of, Yeah, lots of performers have tricks. So Jordan Gray, who's this amazing um, uh, comedian, she yeah. did Edinburgh Fringe this year. She smashed it. She's yeah, she's great. <laughs> now but she talks about how she stands on one foot quite a lot while she's telling her jokes okay there's that that like needing to balance um really helps her like stay present in the moment interesting yeah because ah, i was going to ask do you have any kind of tricks to or things that you do to keep it interesting for yourself or keep yourself on your toes if you like uh not really not really but i just i'm like what i was saying earlier i just can't help myself when i have a microphone i just talk <laughs> and I'll, go, I'll be about to go on stage being like right laurie you know don't oh an edinburgh thing that happened this year i had a really um it just all happened really last minute before the show my cables weren't working something had broken and i honestly i went and sat in the toilet and cried oh, like nice. right up to like two minutes before the show um and i walked out on stage and i was like don't say anything, don't say anything, don't say anything. And I got to the microphone and I was like, hello, I've just been crying in the bathrooms. <laughs> like, I can't help it. I just, I have to just say the thing. So I think that the fact that, you know, whatever's happened that day, I generally will mention helps to keep it interesting for that day. I like one big memory from the Adamant tour was I think it was Cardiff and I start the show with my song No Luck and it's got kind of a list of all of the things wrong with the world. Mm. It's quite sad, but it was the day that Boris Johnson resigned. <laughs> so at the end of the list of all of the rubbish things going on in the world, I did kind of go, but Boris Johnson's gone. <laughs> and the whole crowd was like, yeah. <laughs> that was a good one. 
that's incredible i mean i was going to ask you you know what what were some of the more memorable gigs that you've ever played but i guess you know there's it sounds like there's so much that happens at a laurie black show oh. or uh <laughs> <laughs> or a bad luck cabaret show that they yeah. could all be quite memorable exactly and i you know i think people are really scared of stuff going wrong you know like fair enough I did, I got upset about the cable breaking. I think normally I would have just been like, oh, well. And so, yeah, that cable broke. I had a cry. I came out on stage and was like, this has happened. I'm really sorry. Uh, the show's not going to sound as good. Uh, well, I'll just kind of work it out. And it was essentially that I needed three cables and I only had two. So one thing had to kind of not come through the speakers. And I started singing. And then I was just like, hold on, we've got a whole... We've got a whole kind of crowdfunding situation here of these people. So I stopped the song and I said, hey, just by any chance, does anyone have whatever the particular cable was? And the girl sat like right in front of me in the front row. She like, like a flash, I can't remember her name. She was lovely. She was Irish. We had a drink after I bought her a drink. Uh, but like, like a flash, she like reaches into her bag and just goes like, Whitcha! and is like, I've got one. And then the show went on. And it was great. And um, yeah. Wow. I'm but... going to remember that. I had an absolute <laughs> nightmare. We were playing out in Poland. Yeah. It was the fifth gig of a 17 day tour. Yeah. 16 gigs in 17 days. Sorry. Wow. And my amp broke between songs. Oh, no. Like played the song, finished the song. Singer started doing his spiel between songs. Went yeah. to start the next one. Nothing. Oh no! And I still don't know what's wrong with it. it like so much, like I've I've had it checked out by a couple of people. I hoped it was just the fuse. It wasn't the fuse because I changed the fuse over, and yeah. now it's just now it's being passed around people I know who are good with electric, <laughs> and none of them can work out exactly what's gone wrong. But yeah, I had an absolute nightmare after that. But it was like I'm gonna have to remember. Has anyone got any spare? Equipment. And I did actually the same on the um, Leicester gig on mm. the Adelaide tour. So that was like a couple nights before the Brighton show. They were putting my keyboard stand on the truck and I guess it must have just got like bent a tiny bit because it was a bit oh, wobbly no. that night on stage. And I forgot, you know, in soundcheck, I was like, oh, I'll get a bit of paper and just put it under there. And I forgot and started and again yeah I got a couple songs in and I was like this is really annoying me now and quite distracting so I did I just went hey uh I need some crowdfunding here please um does anyone have a bit of paper I can fold up and put under my keyboard stand and this guy I think he was called Derek I think his name was Derek see look I try to remember these things as well because they're like these are important people who are part of the show um he he holds up his ticket and he's like me and he comes to the front and gives it to me and everyone's like yes Derek um and it was his ticket for the show as well <laughs> it was really cute um and I gave I gave it back to him at the end so oh excellent and that right. that and that will mean more because it's been part of the show you know yeah I think I signed it for him afterwards <laughs> But exactly that, you know, people like an, a, a different experience. They don't want to, they're at a live show for a reason. They're not just watching a television program or a, a film, you know, mm. they like the fact that anything could happen at any moment. Yeah, definitely. Um, and just before we bring it to an end, ah, that's it. Yes. <laughs> You've got a new release coming out oh, yeah. on the 13th of january Friday. 
I don't know if this episode is going to make it out before then, but okay. so the most recent release, yes. which either is coming out or will be coming <laughs> out, is Space Junk, right? Space Junk, yeah. It's the one song from on the Adamant tour that I haven't recorded yet. And loads of people asked me to record it. So I've done it. And I think it's really, I mean, it's still quite relevant. It's about a year old, that song now. But I think it's its relevant with all the space billionaire things and mm. Elon Musk, dare I say, because the song kind of is about him being rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, as, you know, it's, a, it's a, like a year old song. And as as time goes on, he just is getting worse. Like he's not helping himself out. It's not like he's not, He's not gone, oh yeah, Laurie wrote that song, I should be better. Like he's just getting worse. And it's making my song even more relevant. So that's yeah. quite nice. <laughs> Maybe you need to you need to tweet him into your uh, into your release of it and just be yeah, like, This is well, about you, learn. I shot a music video for it recently and I was supposed to have my friend was supposed to be filming it for me and then he got COVID uh, on the day of. So I was like, fine, I'll just film the whole thing myself. So I had to film it on my phone. So I wasn't able to film me deleting my Twitter account because that was going to be part of the song but I think what I'll do is I'll put the song up on Friday the 13th on Twitter and then like self-destruct the account yeah feels like a political statement no one really cares about but it's important to me well yeah I mean this is the thing this is the (laughs) problem isn't it I mean Elon Musk I remember when he first started making waves you know around the time of Tesla and things like that I thought oh well this guy seems to have his head on straight and is doing things that seem to be for the right reasons. And just over time, ever since the whole kids stuck in the mine incident where he was calling that guy a paedophile for wanting to help out, he seems to be getting more and more Bond villain-esque and deranged. Yeah. Also, have you heard his music? He's got music? No. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, it took me a really long time to to pluck up the courage to listen to it. It's rubbish, so it's fine. I can only imagine it's like something off Tiger King or something. <laughs> yeah. Um. Wow. Yeah. He just. I don't know. Like the guy. I. Yeah. I've got so little respect or time for him anymore. Yeah. I think luckily other people are are finally feeling the same as well. So. Mm. I think deleting Twitter is probably a good idea. It's just one of those things. I literally one of the only reasons that i still have any kind of social media anymore is to promote the things that i do i think if it weren't for the power of platforms like that i probably wouldn't have social media i really really dislike it yeah i say that quite a lot and i I know um james acaster's released a book recently about you know deleting your social media Mm. well that's fine for you james acaster you've (laughs) got like a a marketing person who does all your social media accounts from their phone so you don't need one but the rest of us yes the rest of us who are still trying to get our name <laughs> out there yeah. have to unfortunately rely on these things and it's uh it's a pain it's a necessary evil but yeah i'm, I'm really starting to consider twitter because all that happened while i was on tour in november so all that twitter stuff i kind of have been slowly chipping away at trying to find out what went on while i was away and the more i do the more i'm like oh god (laughs) yeah (laughs) Ah. 
but yes, so we'll we'll get off that and we'll go to a more kind of positive things. So for the future, there's um the London Vault Festival as well. Yeah, Vault Festival's cool. It's kind of almost like a fringe festival. I guess it's kind of curated and it's in the vaults of Waterloo Station. Oh. So it's like it's really cool. You go through, I think it's Leak Street, which is the kind of it's directly under the station and it's where you see all the people doing graffiti and you can go every day and it will be different. And yeah, it's kind of like a kind of little labyrinthy performance space where they have, I don't know, at least five venues in there. So there's loads of shows going on and it goes on for ages. It's like January through to April or something. So yeah, I'm performing on the 27th and 28th and that's my my fringe show. It's called Dystopiano, which <laughs> I find I have to say that out loud because people don't get the don't get the pun. <laughs> I had a friend, she was working on the box office at Brighton Fringe. So she was selling tickets for my show and she hadn't realized that it's dystopian and piano like smashed together uh, until I said it aloud to her recently. And she went, oh my God, what a thing. I was like, okay. Thanks. <laughs> but I think it's quite a good advert to essentially that what the show is it's you know it's a synthy piano thing mm. talking about the dystopian future yeah <laughs> and so that's the 27th and 28th of january january yeah right in which case i'm going to i'm going to make a concerted effort to get this out <laughs> in the next week then in that oh, case. Cool. Thank you. um so that all the things that we've been talking about the new release and those dates will go out but also i've got some listeners in australia as well so i'm hoping uh-huh. and some from the melbourne kind of area Ooh. so uh yeah so those dates uh they're back to back aren't they the the two fringes in in pretty australia. much yeah there's like a week in between them yeah mm. so w- uh, what are the dates for for each so Adelaide, I'll be in Adelaide from the 17th of Feb to the 18th of March with all kinds of shows going on in amongst that. And then Melbourne Comedy Festival. It's at a very cool venue. I've not been there before because it's it's popped up since I was last there, but I'm really excited. It's called Motley Bauhaus, which sounds just cool. And it's like a kind of queer, weird venue space. I'm really excited to be there. So that's cool. And that's the 30th of March through to the 6th of April cool well i urge my handful of australian <laughs> listeners to get out and uh and and go visit the show i will be certainly uh looking for for shows that you're doing over here near me so possibly that january ones if i'm around yeah and i like i know the next thing i have to do really you know i've kind of gone back from doing the adamant tour to going back into doing the cabaret things but i know i need to book a little music tour really i was going to ask are you uh, what, what's the plan from here yeah i mean i need to do that i tried to do it in kind of october november this year after the adamantor finished and it's so hard doing it myself Mm. making these connections with venues that that just don't know who i am and i also i guess it just like everything at the minute places are super understaffed and just don't have time to get back to everyone but i yeah i need to find a way or find someone who knows venues who can just help me book book some shows because the plan would be to kind of come around all the places that we went on the adamant tour and do some shows but it's it's difficult <laughs> mm. well again if anyone out there is a booking agent yeah then, uh, get in touch i need you <laughs> in fact that would do well for me as well so uh yeah please do get in touch and we'll try and sort something out excellent is there anything that we've not covered that you'd like to talk about 
I don't think so, but I guess exactly what you're saying. I, you know, the arts and live music are the meaning of life. So just take a punt and go and see some stuff. And, you know, I, I even if you go watch something that you don't even really like, it's, it's just enriching for your life, isn't it? So this is just my, my, my plea to the viewers, just go out and do things because it's great. And ah, here's the thing. I, I wrote my dissertation years and years ago. I did music performance and production at uni and there's a really great statistic I found and it's if you spend money on experiences as opposed to you know objects and things you will be 10% happier oh my god this is right okay <laughs> Christmas this year I I really yeah. really had a bad time because having been away for November it put me yeah. a month behind schedule anyway so I got back and just couldn't get my head in the game was rubbish with getting presents and stuff. And I just think like, and for a couple of years now, I've been saying like I'm really bored of buying people things that they ask for, or like, I'm not very, I'm really not very good at thinking outside the box and being thoughtful. Um, <laughs> but I would much rather buy people things that they can go and do exactly, or like organize a thing with a lot of people that we can all yeah. go and do. Yeah. And yeah, I'm a hundred percent on board with that. That is yeah. that is definitely the future of my personal Christmas and birthday thing is going yeah. to be buying people experiences and yeah. and gig tickets and, and things like that. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm 100 percent on board. Ooh. And uh, I think it's a it's a great message to put out there because it is more <laughs> enriching. You do feel that communal sense of feeling part of something. Yeah. And I think, yeah, a, a part of even if you see something you don't like it kind of it's easy for us to all be in a bit of an echo chamber these days, isn't it? Just surrounded by other people who agree with the exact thing that you think. Hmm. So it can be a really good place to kind of just go, oh, here's some people with some different life views than me. That's interesting and good to know. Yes. <laughs> One of the best things that you can do is travel and mix with people and talk to people, find out about them. Yes. Generally speaking, you find out that most people are kind of nice and they want the same things you know they want to be comfortable they want to be happy and you dig down far enough and most people are like that no matter what background they're from yeah it's true actually so, speaking of that so I've just got back from I went to Reykjavik in Iceland for new year lovely um I went on my own I've got mates there um but because it's they're, it's very family oriented around new year so I actually ended up not seeing any of my mates because they're all just with their families but I had an amazing time. It was great. And New Year, exactly that. You know, it's a brand new year. You're surrounded by people and none of you speak the same language, but you're all hugging and cheersing and all of that. It's exactly what it's about. It's just um, the human experience and just everyone being happy and able to get on with each other. That yeah. is a brilliant way to round off <laughs> an interview. And if I could remember how to say Happy New Year in Icelandic, I would, but I can't. <laughs> <laughs> we'll look that up we'll look that up for next time but no laurie thank you so much for talking to me today one final thing where can the listeners find you and your music online just to reiterate it uh laurieblack.co.uk or just search laurie black on streaming sites and all of those things you'll find you'll find me i'm the one with half black and half another color hair <laughs> excellent thank you so much for coming on laurie no your, your life will be enriched for listening to Laurie's music and going oh. to see her live. I can confirm that. <laughs> Thank you so much. Goodbye for now.
Bye. <laughs> there you go. How cool was Laurie? I really enjoyed that conversation and I hope that you enjoyed listening to it as much as I did having it. It was great to get to know her and find out some common musical tastes, causes and interests. Once more, you can find out all about her, her music and where she's playing next at laurieblack.co.uk and you can find her music as well on all the usual streaming sites. If you get in touch with her on social media, at laurieblackinc, that's I-N-C, on Instagram, let her know you heard our chat on band biographies. As I mentioned earlier, Laurie is an independent artist, so make sure you check out the merch section of her website and buy some stuff. It really does make a difference. But until next time I talk to you, take very good care of yourselves. And maybe at the Dropkick Murphys show at Wembley Arena on the 21st of January, I'll see you in the pit. Thank you for listening to this episode of Band Biographies. If you enjoyed it, please don't forget to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or whatever service you use to listen to your podcasts. Please do reach out on Twitter at BandBiogs, Instagram at BandBiographies, search on Facebook for BandBiographies or by emailing bandbiographies at gmail.com. See you next time. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.